So let's turn there in our book of praise. It's on page 563. Lord's Day 52. Here the church confesses from the Word of God. What is the sixth petition? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That is, in ourselves we are so weak that we cannot stand even for a moment. Moreover, our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh do not cease to attack us. Will you, therefore, uphold and strengthen us by the power of your Holy Spirit, so that in this virtual war we may not go down to defeat, but always firmly resist our enemies until we finally obtain the complete victory. How do you conclude your prayer? For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. That is, all this we ask of you, because as our King, having power over all things, you are both willing and able to give us all that is good. And because not we, but your holy name, should so receive all glory forever. What does the word Amen mean? Amen means it is true and certain. For God has much more certainly heard my prayer than I feel in my heart that I desire this of Him. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus, once again we've come to the end of the Lord's Prayer and the end of our catechism. Next week, I imagine it will be back to Lord's Day 1 for you. For this afternoon, we want to consider prayer one last time, specifically the sixth petition and the conclusion of our prayers. It's important to begin our prayers properly, but it's equally important to finish our prayers properly. Our chief prophet and teacher gives us instruction about how to do that. So this afternoon we're learning about how Jesus teaches us to prayerfully confess three things. Our weakness, God's sovereign might and majesty, and also our faith. Well, the church father Augustine once said that the whole life of a Christian is temptation. It's true. Day after day, temptations come our way. And they come in all sorts of different shapes and sizes, sometimes even apparently custom-made for the individual being tempted. And the sixth petition addresses that reality. Our Lord Jesus teaches us to pray to God as our Father that He would not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, over the centuries, there's been a lot of discussion about that. Can our Heavenly Father lead us into temptation? Does He Himself tempt us? Well, we know from James 1.13 that God doesn't tempt His children. Let no one say when He is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and He Himself tempts no one. That's James 1.13. Yet, now, we do know from elsewhere in Scripture that God does sometimes permit temptations to come our way. And we can think here of the classic example of Job. 
in his wisdom, God permitted Satan to torment and tempt Job. But he himself didn't do that. So, God may lead into temptation. He may allow temptations to come our way. He may allow us to face enticements to sin. But he himself doesn't tempt us. When we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, we're asking that God would, if possible, keep temptations away from us. And also that He would give us strength for when temptations are permitted to come our way. And then by asking for strength, we're also admitting our own weakness. A couple weeks ago, I understand that you had Lord's Day 51 as your catechism lesson. You considered the forgiveness of sins. Praying for the forgiveness of sins is instrumental in producing the godly fruit of humility in our lives. Because when we pray for the forgiveness of our sins, we are acknowledging that we have sins. That we have sinned against God. We need to be forgiven. Produces humility. This petition does the same thing. By praying in the spirit or the manner of the sixth petition, we're confessing to God that we are weak. We are helpless. We're in a spiritual war, and in this war, we depend upon the power of the Holy Spirit. We have nothing of our own resources. Without the Holy Spirit, we would be finished. Our Lord Jesus taught along these lines more than once. One instance was in John 15. He speaks, speaks there of Himself as the vine and us as the branches. And that's referring to our union with Christ. We are in Him, as Paul would say. We are the branches who have been grafted on to the vine. The branches that bear fruit that are truly and organically connected to the vine, they're the ones that get pruned by the Father. And that pruning takes place through various means. One of those means is the permitting of temptations in our lives. And through these things, He teaches us to depend on Him all the more and to recognize that of ourselves, we are weak and helpless. And that's really the point of verse 5 as well. In verse 5 of John 15, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If the branch gets cut off from the vine, or if the branch doesn't receive attention from the gardener, or if the branch doesn't have sap flowing through it, it'll never bear fruit and it'll die. So when our Lord Jesus said this, He wanted us to open our eyes to the reality of our total dependence on Him. When our Master Jesus taught the sixth petition, He wanted us to open our eyes to the reality that we're weak. Not only are we weak, we also have sworn enemies who are intent on destroying us. We have the devil 
Peter says that Satan is a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He wants to drink up our blood, so to speak. We have the world, which Jesus says will hate us because we are in Him. And to round out this three-headed monster, we have our own sinful flesh, which Paul says wars against us. Bernard of Clairvaux was a medieval theologian who had a lot of influence on John Calvin, had a lot of influence on other reformers too. And Bernard of Clairvaux once said that everyone is Satan to himself. Everyone is Satan to himself. That's not to deny the existence of an evil angel named Satan. Bernard didn't mean that. But it's to say that everyone has a traitor in his or her own heart. Everyone has an enemy or adversary within. After all, that's what Satan means. Satan means enemy, adversary. Everyone is Satan to himself. So we have these three enemies. The devil, the world, and ourselves. And they're not to be trifled with. And we don't have the resources within ourselves to resist them. In our natural state, we're helpless and hopeless. So what do we do? Well, our Savior teaches us to make it our habit to call out to God as our Father for help. We're taught here to pray and ask God to uphold us and strengthen us with this Holy Spirit so that we can resist these powerful enemies until the day we finally obtain the complete victory. And when we pray in this way, we can be sure that God will hear us and He will answer us. He'll preserve us. He who is faithful will do it. And He will use means to do it. He will instruct us and lead us. You know, you've been praying that God would give you strength for the fight. Well, He's here this afternoon doing that very thing with His Word and with the Holy Spirit. Well, let me mention a few things about resisting temptation from the Word of God. And I'll mention five, although many more could be mentioned. So these are five things from the Word of God about resisting temptation. First, where does it start? Resisting temptation begins with looking in faith to Christ. Fixing your eyes on Christ constantly. You need to be daily preaching the Gospel to yourself. Telling the Gospel to yourself. Telling yourself, yes, I am a sinner, but I have a great Savior in Jesus who has shed His blood for me. Yes, I have a lack of obedience to the law of God, but I have Jesus who has perfectly kept the law in my place. Look to Christ. Think about it, it makes sense. The more we look to Christ in faith, resting and trusting in Him, the better equipped we are to resist sin and temptation. We receive strength from Him as we look to Him in faith. 
That's the first thing. It begins with looking in faith to Christ. The second thing, be zealous to cut off sin in your life. In Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, our Lord Jesus taught us the practice of what we call radical amputation. He says, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, chop it off. Now, he's not teaching you to literally start amputating limbs. What he's saying is, if there's anything, anything in your life that's tempting you to sin, get rid of it. Get rid of it. And the sooner, the better. Third, beware of idleness and boredom. It's sometimes been said that boredom is the devil's playground. It's true, isn't it? Someone else once said the bird that sits still gets shot. Boredom and idleness open the door to temptations. Fourth, practice often with the sword of the Spirit. Ephesians 6 tells us that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. And this sword has two edges. You can use it against that enemy within. And you can use it against the enemies outside. But to use it well, to use that sword of the Spirit well, you need to pick it up, you need to practice with it. You can't pray in the manner of the sixth petition and then leave your Bible to collect dust for days on end. God will deliver you from temptation, but He will do it through His Word. It's how He works. And finally, pursue humility. We need grace. To resist temptation. In 1 Peter 5, Peter quotes Solomon in Proverbs, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humility is crucial if we're to receive grace to prevail against temptations. We need to humble ourselves before God and one another. We need to not only call for His help, but accept the help that He gives in His Word. We ought to pray for the Holy Spirit to work a deeper humility in our lives. Remember, lofty towers crash with a heavier fall, and lightning strikes the tops of mountains. God gives grace to the humble. And so our Lord Jesus teaches us to confess our weakness. Secondly, this afternoon, let's also learn how He teaches us to confess the sovereign might and majesty of God. This is the flip side of the sixth petition. We are weak, but God is strong. God's Holy Spirit has power to equip us for resisting temptation. God is the one who can uphold and strengthen us. But then our Savior takes us further with the conclusion to His prayer. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And when our Lord Jesus added that, He was building on another prayer. He was building on a prayer that's found in 1 Chronicles 29. A prayer that originally came from 
David, the ancestor of our Lord Jesus. Our Savior was teaching us to confess that God is a sovereign King. He rules over all things. His power over all things. Everything is in His hand. He is able to give us everything good. And not only is He able, but He's also willing. In other words, He not only has a hand of power, He also has a heart of love. This God is not only our King who rules over us in all things, but also our Father who loves us. And our prayers can always rest on that confidence. We believe that God is both good and powerful. And that all good things must be sought from Him. God's sovereign might and power are there for our good and for His praise. And His praise is what Christ taught us to seek at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be Your name. And His praise is also what Christ teaches us to seek at the end of our prayers. For Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. God's glory, praise and honor are what we're all about. It's what we're about when we're going about our daily business and it's about what we're about when we're on our knees. Psalm 115.1 says it beautifully. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to Your name give glory for the sake of Your steadfast love and faithfulness. Right there. That should be the spirit or the manner in which we always pray. And you know what happens as we pray in that way? Yes, God is glorified with our words. Absolutely. But there's something else going on. The Holy Spirit also continues to transform our lives. There's something going on with our sanctification as we pray like that. By nature, we all have a bad case of what can be called spiritual scoliosis. I don't know if you've ever heard of scoliosis or known anybody who has it. Scoliosis is a disease where the spine is curved in a way that it shouldn't be. While spiritual scoliosis is the disease with which we're all afflicted by nature, by birth as we come into this world. We're all curved in on ourselves. We all tend towards being narcissists. We want to make the world all about us. Making the universe revolve around us. And the doxology of the Lord's Prayer, along with the other prayers in Scripture, they point us outward. Point us outside of ourselves to the God who made us. We're pointed to the God who saved us in Christ. The God who restores us and the God who will someday glorify us. We're pointed outside of ourselves. Prayer for God's kingdom, God's power, God's glory is part of God's cure for our spiritual scoliosis. As we get straightened out, what results is yet more praise and honor for God 
The very reason we were put on this earth in the first place. And that brings us to the last word of the Lord's Prayer. Amen. Amen is probably the most well-known Hebrew word in the world. With maybe hallelujah coming in close behind it. But even though it's so well-known and so frequently used, I wonder how many people actually know what amen means. I mean, people who haven't been schooled with the Heidelberg Catechism. My guess is that many people think it means it's over. It's finished. We're done. But our catechism draws our attention to the true meaning of this Hebrew word. It is true and certain. Or you could say, this is sure to be. The word amen is a word of faith. And that's demonstrated in Genesis 15, when God covenanted with Abram. After God made the promise of numerous descendants, we're told that Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord accounted it to him for righteousness. In Hebrew, the word for believed is a verbal form of the word amen. So you could even paraphrase it. Abram said his amen to the Lord. Amen is a word of faith. It's a word of trust. It's a word of certainty, confidence. By saying amen at the conclusion of our prayers, we're saying we believe that God has heard us. Sure. And how can we be so certain? Because of Jesus. Because we have our Lord Jesus Christ interceding for us at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus speaks for us. And He urges God to hear us. And in response, God always does. And we can also be certain because we also have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, He perfects our prayers. And He makes them acceptable to God. So we not only have the ministry of our Lord Jesus, we also have the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And these two are working on behalf of our prayers, on behalf of us. Our prayers are imperfect. Our prayers are weak. They're stained with sin many times. But because of the ongoing work of Christ, because of the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit, we can be confident and we can say, Amen! I can be sure that my God always hears me. In my heart, I desire what I've asked of Him. And that desire has a certain level of intensity. But that desire and its intensity, it pales in comparison to the love that my Father God has for me. My desire is weak compared to the strength of His love. When you say Amen, that's meant to be a confession of faith in your God. So brothers and sisters, as we say that word at the end of our prayers, let's not say it mindlessly or robotically. 
just out of custom, because it's the word we say. Instead, let's say it conscientiously, with faith and confidence. Let's be sure we always keep in mind what that little word means. And in so doing, once again, just with that little word, Amen, we'll continue to grow in our faith and our dependence on our Heavenly Father. As you see, a beautiful little four-letter word is also part of our growth in grace and knowledge. Even that one four-letter word is part of our sanctification, our growth in holiness. And that brings us to the end of the Lord's Prayer and the end of another round through the Catechism. It's good that we're regularly reminded of these important truths of the Christian faith. It's good that our children are regularly exposed to these truths and grow in them. And our confidence is that God will use all this teaching for our benefit and for His glory. Amen. It is true and certain. Let's now sing together hymn 63, 1, 7, and 8. And then immediately after that, we'll profess our faith by...